Welcome back to Random Trek, the podcast in which I, your host, Scott McNulty, discuss a random episode of Star Trek with a non-random guest by guest tonight, or this afternoon, or whenever you're listening to this, is Shelley Brisbane. Shelley, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. I can't wait to talk about Star Trek. You are. You, I can't wait either. I always. Uh, I, I'm always in a perpetual state of waiting to talk about Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> it's good you have a show then. It's true. Uh, Shall you are uh, kind of the the incomparable's newest member. Uh, you've been on the the main show. You have your own podcast. Uh, but before we get into that, tell people a little bit about yourself. So I'm a journalist, a writer, a podcaster. I uh, work for. A radio show is my day job. I've spent a lot of time working in technology publishing, which is how I know Jason, who is the grand poobah of the incomparable. Mm-hmm. And I have spent the last number of years doing a whole bunch of podcasts as well. I do a show called Parallel over on the Relay FM network and then here on Incomparable. I do Lines, Towers, and Shields, which is a podcast about very old movies. Ooh, now, how do you define very old? Because I have recently... Uh, gotten to the point in my life where uh, if I turn on a classic radio station, they are playing music that I consider contemporary. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, in this case, and I, I got a little, in a little bit of trouble when I, when I said it, first of all, because those of us who really love this kind of stuff call them classic movies, mm-hmm. but I've just sort of made peace with calling them old movies because that's what my friends <laughs> at The Incomparable seem to call them. Mm-hmm. And so far, my rule, which is very flexible, has been before 1960. So I mean like really old movies. However, I wouldn't turn down a nice uh, 60s movie. There was, in my opinion, sort of a real break at about 1960 up until you get into a more modern era. And so I feel like that's kind of a logical place to make my cut off. But I'm just waiting for somebody to fight me and say, here's a movie from 1962 we really should talk about, and I'm going to let them do it if they have a good case to make. <laughs> that doesn't seem like much of a fight. Um, no, it's, it's not. So, I'm, I'm easy. <laughs> I think you just like to watch movies. I think I've cracked the code here. Yes. Uh, so I will admit that I um, am not as versed in old movies or classic movies, whatever the, the preferred nomenclature is, as one should be, um, or I would like to be. I don't know if one should be. Uh, there, there's no kind of. You it's know. not a law. You're, you're entitled to. You're entitled to <laughs> like them or not. I don't. I don't expect that you have an opinion either way. But <laughs> so, what what is your best way of uh, getting these these kind of movies for streaming? Because it, it strikes me that they're hard to find on streaming services. It's it's hard to find if you don't know classic movies. There are a lot of classics on Amazon, not so much Netflix. I never recommend movie fans start with Netflix at all. Uh, Hulu has a fair number. And then if you are okay with buying or renting them as opposed to having them as part of your subscription, iTunes actually has a pretty good selection. And so one of the challenges, because I actually collect them and have them on a server in my house, is that sometimes I get excited about a movie that I want to watch, and then I have to go check to see whether it's streaming. And I've had to... It's like, oh, man, it's not streaming right now. So um, if if you have to have one service for classic movies, probably Amazon Prime is the one to have, although... Find when you searching Amazon Prime for something that you are not familiar with can be sort of a random experience, so to speak. So let's lots of random going on. Here. Yes, I was going to ask you about that because I think one of the things that TCM does is it curates the movies and puts them yes. in kind of like packages. So you're like, oh, if you want to watch whatever swashbuckling or whatever their theme of the month is, uh, they make it super easy. Uh, because I did try to watch some movies on Amazon and I just didn't know what to watch or how to find them. So what do you have any recommendations about if someone's interested in getting into classic movies, how they can go about watching some and finding them, I should say. 
because TCM does such a good job of curating and they have highlights packages and on, on Lions Towers and Shields, we actually go over some of what the highlights for the month are. Oh. And so you can even go to the TCM.com and look at some of those highlights and go, oh, wow, they're doing Ginger Rogers movies or Edward G. Robinson movies or horror movies. Maybe I should find some of those that are streaming elsewhere. So it's a little bit of a hack. But if you don't mm. know anything about it and you haven't listened to all seven count them seven episodes of Lions, Towers, and Shields. That's a choice. Although you could listen to our episode five, I believe it was, when we drafted a bunch of classic movies. That's a pretty good start. We had some incomparable regulars get on and uh, make suggestions. And I've been excited by the number of incomparable regulars who have opinions about these movies. That's been fun. Well, I'm going to listen to that episode and and give myself a watch list because that awesome. I've just overwhelmed in general, by the <laughs> amount of things that are in streaming. And then if you want to try to find something in particular, I feel like these services really don't do a great job of highlighting their cat their, their catalogs other than the things that they have made and are pushing at the moment. Um, so it, it's frustrating, I think. But anyway, now let's talk about Star Trek. Because uh, mm-hmm. I know the people who are listening to this podcast are like, I... They're like, get on with the Star Trek. Exactly. Come on. Uh, and w- does, does Star Trek, the motion picture, count as a classic movie? No, it mm, is from the... Now that's, the... Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> well, now here's what's interesting about that. That was directed by Robert Wise, who b- began his career in the classic era. And the very first episode of Lions, Towers, and Shields, I really didn't mean to do all this self-promotion, but the very first episode was about a movie <laughs> called The Setup that he directed in 1949. And Wise has had this amazing career. I think Star Trek fans will even know that he directed Sound of Music and all these other disparate films. I did not know Uh, that. Really? You didn't know that? I didn't know that. I love Sound of Music. Robert Wise has directed an amazing variety of films, and Star Trek motion pic- with the motion picture was toward the end of his career. And it's, it's fascinating to watch a movie like that and think... That guy directed The Setup, which is a boxing movie from 1949, and The Sound of Music. And for some reason, it's escaping me. But he, he directed a lot of – he directed some westerns in the 50s. He just – he's a very prolific guy. Now, The Sound of Music is a movie that always surprises me with how long it is. Uh, and Star Trek The Motion Picture is also a movie that always surprises me <laughs> with how long it feels. It may not actually be that long. Right. <laughs> So there you go. That's how I, I uh, now connect those in my, mentally in my head. Uh, so I'm going to ask you my standard kind of new random Trek guest question. Do you consider yourself a fan of Star Trek? I do. Uh, now, now my question is uh, on a scale of, you know, I'll watch an episode if it's on to I own a Starfleet uniform. Where <laughs> where do you fall on that scale? See, the thing is, my my own perception of how big a fan I am is colored by what other people have done in their life and the fact that there are conventions and uniforms and things you can buy. Mm-hmm. So given that that whole sort of range exists... I'm going to have to put myself at probably a six and a half, maybe seven. That's still because, pretty high. Uh, yeah, I, I can't say. I don't know. Probably, to be fair, I'm a six because I've I've never been to a con. I've never bought a piece of Star Trek merchandise unless you count the books I bought when I was a kid. But, uh, yeah, I've not I've not made it a lifestyle. I've just enjoyed the, <laughs> the content. <laughs> well, and I will say this. Um, I was thinking about this the other day because I was listening to 
an episode of The Incomparable, actually. I, 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 this is all about promoting The Incomparable, apparently. apparently. <laughs> uh, I was listening to, they did, a, I think, like a 90s album draft. I, you think you were on that episode? I was you? on that, yes. There you go. Okay. So I was listening to that episode. I enjoyed it greatly. Um, but I had this experience, which I think is relevant to this, uh, where, because I listened to it and I thought, well, I was, you know, cognizant in the 90s. Uh, I liked music. So I'll listen to this and surely they will mention some music that I like. Uh, and I had that experience of when you know you go to a group and you think i'm a fan of this thing and then you go somewhere like a convention perhaps or something and you realize oh i am not like i don't even (laughs) understand the depths of fandom (laughs) right uh and so you can have this weird experience where you think well am i really a fan of it is there but i don't think that there is uh any kind of like uh, level of fan you, you don't have to prove to anybody your your fandom right so uh, but it was just an interesting experience that i had as listening to that podcast because i was like i'm not really super into music uh and listening i like it of course but uh you guys uh who are on that podcast clearly much more into music than i am so uh it's just an interesting uh side note there anyway uh, I'm all about tangents today, apparently. Yay! <laughs> I'm, I'm going down with down with. If you have to you have to lead me back because I'll walk down there with you. But you're going to have to find the pa- right, well, path back to the beginning, let's, the let's, regular part let's of the show. Let's get back to Star Trek. So you are certainly uh, you're you're more than uh, kind of like a passing familiarity with Star Trek. Certainly. Indeed. So indeed. What would uh, so you probably have an answer to this question? What's your favorite Star Trek series? Um, you know, it, it's it's weird because. Artistically, from an art, from a, I would rather like to sit down and watch this point of view. It would be TNG. Mm-hmm. From a nostalgia, it was my first. It has to be TOS because I came home from school. TOS was on at four o'clock. I watched every episode. I knew the names of all the episodes. I had a friend who, as I, I mentioned, I bought some of the the James Bliss, Blish books from mm-hmm. back in the day, and so I was as big a fan as it is possible for a twelve year old person to be. And I guess. Uh, and then, but if I think about what would I like to watch now, and then there's the fact that I've just watched TOS so much that it's not, it's more like familiar. It was on in the background. I wouldn't even feel the need to look up. But mm-hmm. I watched TNG when I was a much more cognizant human, and I think it's, you know, better storytelling and all that stuff. So, oh, this is, so now I have to ask uh, the question Kirk versus Picard. Who, who would you pick? <laughs> To, what for? to be I the captain know, but... of the ship that I'm on. Oh, well, there you go. I, that's what I should say. I'm going to go with Picard um, because I think he's more trustworthy and reliable. <laughs> I, ha- I have the same answer. Like, if I had to serve on a ship, I would totally want to serve on right. uh, a, a ship with Picard because you're going to die under yeah, Captain exactly. Kirk. <laughs> And he's not really going to care. I mean, he's going to be a little upset, but uh, it's not going to impact him all that much. Indeed. Uh, but Captain Picard. He he would care a little bit, uh, although I do say I wouldn't want to uh, be in a turbo lift with Captain Picard because I would just feel very nervous and I would feel like he would like fire me or something because or he'd just be <laughs> disappointed in me for some reason and I just and, couldn't handle it. Unfortunately, there are TNG episodes where that feeling is replicated by characters, which I enjoy a lot. Yes, I like it uh, watching other people go through it, but I don't want to yeah. go through it myself. Right. <laughs> but we didn't watch an original series episode. We didn't watch. Uh, Next Generation episode. So there is nary a mention of Captain Kirk nor Captain Picard in this episode. Uh, And I was worried 
uh, well, it's a Voyager episode. People who are listening already know what the episode we're talking about. I always have this this fiction that it's a surprise when I announce it. Uh, but it is <laughs> it is Sacred Ground, uh, third season Voyager episode. And when it starts, I don't know about you, Shelley. I don't know what you feel about Voyager. No, we'll, we'll, I'll let you answer that question as soon as I say it. When this starts, I was afraid this was going to be a Neelix episode. And I was very sad. Uh, but it turns out it's a Janeway episode. And that made me much happier. <laughs> See, I think it should have been a Neelix episode, not because I wanted it to be, but because logically it should have been. I agree like, with wait that. wait a minute. His, his, his partner has just had this terrible thing happen. So who is the person who is going to go make it better? Janeway? What? Everyone says, you, you don't trust Neelix to do this. No, no, certainly not. I, I, that would have been hilarious if she had just like, dude, I got this. Don't worry. Which he kind of did. They, they, you know, when they have him, uh, why don't you go do some research? Yeah, yeah, yes. that's what we'll have you do. Do some, do some Googling on the planet. Right? Yeah, you, you Google, I'll go down to the planet and take the risks. So. Before we jump into this, what, what are your thoughts about Voyager as a series? As a series, because it, 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 it brings up strong feelings uh, in general. So I should say that I didn't – I think I might have watched the first season at the time it was on, but I guess I was busy in my life. I'm not sure why I didn't continue it because I liked it, and I like it more now because I've been actually going back through Voyager even before you uh, – told me we were going to be watching a Voyager episode. I had had been watching Voyager uh, off and on for the past, I don't know, maybe nine months or so. And I really like it. Um, I don't, I I know it's divisive for some people and and I don't find it that way at all. I don't find it, I don't find it less Star Trek than the other series. I, I like Voyager. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to talk about an episode from Voyager. (laughs) Oh, good. And I, I like Voyager as well. I did, uh, when I watched the first season, and I think that, frankly, uh, I didn't like it because uh, well, there are a couple of reasons. Uh, I didn't really like Neelix or Kess. Uh, I didn't like Harry Kim or Tom Paris. So that's a lot of the crew. That's a lot of people, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I will admit that Captain Janeway is a woman. That, that's not an admission. Uh, but it wait, threw wait, me. stop well, the presses. I know. We need to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I am I am happy to say that isn't the only reason I didn't like it. But it, uh, I was like I don't know how I feel about this. Uh, but but past Scott was very foolish because Captain Janeway is now has become one of my favorite characters in Star Trek, not just Voyager, but Star Trek period because she's a great char- character. Uh, and I don't know what I was thinking back then. Um, and that's why I was so happy that this episode is a Vo- uh, Janeway episode, uh, because I like Janeway, uh, and I don't like Neelix. So the less I have to watch Neelix, uh, the better. Uh, and I will say, spoiler alert for my feelings about this episode, but I really like this episode. This is the first time I've seen this episode, uh, but I thought it was quite successful. Um, so, And I, I can be a little tough on Voyager, so I like to, uh, <laughs> at the front, say that I really liked it. And maybe, now, now keen viewers of this episode might think that I like it because it has uh, zero Tom Paris in it, because I think he, he directed it, I believe. <laughs> he was directing it. Yeah. He was busy. <laughs> and it has a tiny bit of Tom, uh, of uh, Harry Kim, uh, and no Neelix, really. I mean, he, he's sent off on a fool's errand to, actually, he, he finds a pivotal piece of information. Um, and Kess, I, I don't mind Kess, but I've always found Kess and Neelix's relationship to be creepy. So, uh, <laughs> so she's not there. 
I don't feel as strongly negatively about them as you do, although I think a problem I had with Voyager as as I would drop back into it and try and remember it was like, wait a minute, now which of these people are part of the Voyager crew and which of these people are, you know, they've mashed together these two groups of people. Mm -hmm. And I feel like knowing who is in which group is somewhat important to appreciating the character dynamics, which I guess isn't really all that relevant for this episode, but it is in terms of like how you feel about Kess and Neelix and like whether they should be there and what they're about. Mm -hmm. And I don't, like I said, I think you're right that it makes a better episode because it was Janeway focused. But I just can't get past the logic leap that he he didn't Neelix didn't say, "All right, I'm doing this," and Janeway didn't. They didn't have a conversation where it was, "Well, you could do it, but here's the reason why you shouldn't do it, or I'm not going to let you do it, or whatever." You're going to screw it up, Neelix. You're going to totally screw it up. And and Janeway, like, she was doing what a captain would do she's saying i'm going to do this because member of my crew at which goes back to like the composition of the crew like wait so how are janeway and kess specifically connected kess is not exactly like a sworn member of starfleet i mean i don't know so i had she, some problems with it she's an ad- uh, an adopted member of the crew i suppose right right uh well let's talk about what happens this episode then because uh i think you're right that is a a, a crucial point in this episode uh, so the setup really is pretty straightforward, right? There's not a lot of B plot in this episode at all. Um, and maybe no B plot, actually. Um, not really, yeah, there's not. The closest to a B plot is the doctor arguing in sickbay <laughs> with people. But <laughs> Which, uh, that's hardly a plot. Uh, although right, I do like right. the doctor a lot, so hooray. As well, Sad, so do I. Uh, they, they, the Voyager is hanging out at this planet for some reason, and they've been invited to come visit some holy sites of this They're alien going race. for shore leave. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> when has a Star Trek episode started that way and things have worked out right? Everything is fine. That's right. That's, that's a boring episode uh, yep. when they go to Risa and everything. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> uh, now, I will say my other problem with this episode happens in the very beginning of this episode where uh, they are underground seemingly. I don't know if it actually is underground or not. It seems very underground. And they're, this uh, alien dude is showing them kind of the holy uh, places of their race. And everybody is very appreciative and ooing and aahing. And then Kess kind of just wanders off um, and and finds this shrine that has kind of ominous glowing light coming out of it. <laughs> Uh, and she's like, oh, I wonder what this shrine is. And Neelix is like, well, we probably shouldn't, you know, check it out uh, because we're on a tour and maybe we could ask the tour guide what it is. And Kess is like, oh, it'll be fine. I'll go check it out myself. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, why would you do that? That seem very bright. And then, you know, at the end of the episode, we find out there's a whole bunch of radiation. Mm-hmm. Like she not only the visual appearance of it, but you would think that that it would be sort of evident that that's not a place one would go but she just keeps you know hey i think i'll go up here and check it out it's not it's not like it's super interesting looking it's not like oh these are pretty ruins i'd like to see them it's just a bright light at the top of a platform yeah it's not particularly uh interesting at all and so it's it, it appears to be deadly because she goes in she hits some sort of uh, force field uh it's actually a biogenic field for people who care about such made-up things uh and she is knocked out unconscious uh neelix is upset because of course he is uh and then balana and harry kim come running they're also upset they go up to the planet uh, and this is my second problem with this uh where uh basically uh they're like wtf alien dude and he's like oh this is one of our most holy sites um I can't really let you go in uh, because uh, only these monks that go through this particular ceremony can go in there and they don't, they're sworn to secrecy and all this stuff. And Balana is basically, uh, we don't care. Just let us do what we want. 
And I thought, that's not cool. <laughs> no, but, but neither is it cool that the, the guy on the planet is like, okay, you need to go now. That's it's not even true. like, well, we could take her to one of our hospitals. We could help treat her. It's like, could y'all just leave? I mean, you said you want to go to our holy places. We've told you no. And you're no, being all balana about it. And now could you just go? He does. He does hopefully say, helpfully say, well, she's going to die. So <laughs> good luck. Right. See yeah, you later. So, so don't, don't, don't stress about it too much. We know what's going to happen. <laughs> yes, he, he's not very helpful. But I did find it kind of uh, against character uh, for them to be like, just tell us what we want yeah. to know. Uh, you would think that, you know, Captain Janeway would uh, try to be diplomatic about it, uh, which they do kind of do later. Um, but I just thought that was weird. Anyway, so now the Dutch Kess is stabilized in sickbay uh, and she stays that way throughout the episode. So she's just kind of hanging out in sickbay. Uh, Neelix is the doctor doesn't know what to do. And Neelix is, doesn't also doesn't know what to do. He's very fretful. Uh, and Captain Janeway uh, is, says, you know, gosh, darn it. Remember, my crew has been harmed. I will talk to the the administrator and uh, see what we can do about it. Uh, and basically, he says, "Well, I'm an administrative person. I'm not a spiritual person, so I can't answer any of your questions." And the monks also sworn to secrecy uh, because you know this is a big, critically important religious thing. Uh, the monks go through this ceremony of some kind, uh, so you know I can't help you. And Janeway says, well, what if I do the ceremony? And he says, I don't know. Uh, but apparently everybody thinks that's fine. <laughs> so well, we, we have separation of church and state on this planet. So the administrator has to go to the monks, and the monks apparently are not willing to talk to Janeway directly. And so the administrator says, yeah, I talked to them. It's cool. But, uh, yeah, separation of, of religious and secular society. I do like this episode a lot, but I think the setup is kind of... Uh, quickly rushed because I feel like this uh, religious ceremony seems pretty important to these people uh, and they are just like okay Janeway can do it it's fine uh, <laughs> uh, and you know I'm not a, uh, a super religious person in fact I'm an atheist so I'm not religious at all uh, but uh, I am familiar with I was raised Roman Catholic which might explain why I'm an atheist but anyway that's another podcast <laughs> uh, but I know that you know it takes a lot of time uh, to go through a lot of these religious ceremonies that are kind of super important. Uh, and, and for this one, it takes like four days and anyone who just kind of arrives can do it. <laughs> it seems kind of Apparently weird. Apparently it's like taking a psychoactive drug in some ways too. So yeah, it's, uh... <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, it's like a spirit quest. Uh, but right, that being said, right. the setup I, I uh, had problems with, but the, the meat of the episode, which is mostly Janeway, Dealing with this this ceremony and trying to figure out this problem, uh, I found very interesting because she's looking at it. She's a scientist. We know this. One of the, the critical things about like a core part of Captain Janeway's character is she was a science officer. Uh, she believes in science. She So she uh, is, of course, looking at this as a, a problem to solve. And in fact, I think her guide for the ceremony says that to her. Uh, and she agrees. Uh and so, and in Voyager, Chakotay is always the stand-in for kind of religious and spiritual journeys, right? Um, even though they made up all of that stuff that he believes in, uh, <laughs> which angered many people, as, as it should. Um, and so they have a brief conversation where Chakotay's like, uh, what if it actually is, you know, because what they say, is, I skipped over this part, like, uh, Cass is going to die unless... Uh, they find uh, they can ask the spirits to uh, bring her back uh, because Neelix 
has been sent to the planet to to Google about these things. And he found this story uh, about a king whose son went into the temple and died uh, or almost died. But then he goes in and asks the spirits to forgive him. And he, the, the son is saved. Uh, and so that's what, that's what Janeway has to do. Uh, and it's, it's very exciting. Actually, it's not very exciting, but it's, 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 uh, <laughs> it's, 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 it's interesting because I am interested in kind of science versus religion, uh, especially in Star Trek, because they don't really touch on that too much. The, the two things that they hammer on a lot in the whole quest that she goes through are this, oh, you like science and logic, and this may not be solved by science and logic. Oh, yeah, and we have to say that. They, have, they do sort of ram that home a little harder than they perhaps do. is necessary. There's there's a lot less content in the quest, which takes up most of the episode, than, <laughs> than I would have hoped. Uh, and you have this guide who, whenever Janeway asks a question, the, the answer she gets is sort of like, I don't know, can you? Uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of interesting as a sort of pushback against Janeway's scientific bent, mm-hmm. but then it gets a little repetitive. And you're not, you're even if you are sort of taking the perspective of the people whose religion she's trying to circumvent, basically, it's like, look, I got to get in here and get out of here, figure out what the solution is. And if your religion is in the way, then, you know, I mean, she's not aggressive about it. She's just, she's not a believer through most of it, or almost all of it. And the guide's job is basically to put obstacles in her way, but they're not obstacles that Janeway can surmount logically she she's the the quest their questions are never answered then Janeway has all these experiences that don't really lead anywhere and everybody she encounters including the guide and the old people that are sitting around are all basically saying you can't figure this out with science but we're not going to help you figure it out spiritually either (laughs) (laughs) that is true but I found it I the part I found so interesting is the guide is there and it is clear from the start or maybe from the like maybe uh, I don't know 10 minutes after she meets the guide that uh, so Janeway has done some research about spirit journeys and she's like okay the, the Starfleet data banks tell me that uh, it's usually like a series of challenges uh, it's like a reality show right there a series of, of, of elimination challenges and then at the end I get the, the solution to my problem in my spirit journey uh, and Chakotay uh, is like, okay, good luck with that. <laughs> and uh, so Janeway goes down to the planet uh, with a very particular uh, idea of what she needs to do. And the guide is like, oh, that's what you want to do? Okay, let's do that. Uh, and it becomes pretty clear that nothing that she's doing matters. And in fact, the guide says none of this matters. <laughs> it's useless. It doesn't matter. Right. And Janeway's like, but I'm just going to hold this rock for a while because <laughs> that's what I think I need to do. <laughs> and she's like, okay, what do you, what do you see? And, and Janeway's like, I see a stone. And the guy's like, yep. <laughs> yep. That's, it's what, a, it's that's what's there. <laughs> she climbs a, a, a rock wall at, at one point. Uh, and then what I, so they're underground. So there's a, there are stones around, there's a rock wall, um, but at a, a certain point, she goes into this coffin-like thing, which is clearly there, like pre-existing. So that must be part of some sort of ritual, I would assume. Um, and she takes some; she gets stung by this uh, 
thing in a basket that we never see, which is a good choice because it probably would have looked dumb, uh, but not showing it to us <laughs> lets us imagine what it is. Uh, and, and so she's she's pumped full of the poison and put into basically a sensory deprivation chamber, uh, and she she hallucinates for a bit, um, or does she? Does she actually meet the spirits? Uh, who knows? Right, it's never quite clear. And then we we're, we're told that time passes when we go back to the ship. Oh, it's thirty six hours. It's right. three days. You know, whatever. And that's the only point. Of, of that the the ship serves for is really to tell us how long Janeway has been down there. Um, oh, and, and a detail that I did not mention is that they implant a little um, like a probe thing in Janeway to monitor what's happening to her body, so that the doctor can um, come up with a cure or a treatment for Kess while it's happening to uh, Janeway. I like the fact that the guide immediately is hip to the fact that she has mm-hmm. that. I also like the detail where the guide takes her tricorder. So so Janeway comes down there, and the first time she meets the guide, the guide is like, hey, can you help me with this thing? And Janeway's like, sure. And the guide just sort of offhandedly says, hey, what's that? She goes, oh, that's called a tricorder. And she goes, hey, can I see it? And she takes it. Uh, Janeway hands it to her. And then uh, she goes, oh, hey, I didn't mean for you to keep it. And the guide laughs and is going, ha! got you. You don't get your tricorder back. That's right. You don't need this. <laughs> right. I, I really like the actress who played the guide. I, I think the part is written interestingly. I think the, the, the actor does a good job of sort of keeping Janeway off balance, not by being aggressive, but by being completely confounding. Like Janeway can't get a straight answer. And because Janeway's not, you know, Captain Kirk or even Picard, she doesn't yell or shake anybody. She's just mm-hmm. like, all right, I'll just ask a different question, but we're going to talk again about science and math mm-hmm. and stuff. <laughs> I agree with you. I really liked – so I liked a lot about this episode, even though as we're talking about it, there's not a whole lot that happens in this episode. And you are right. It's a bit repetitive <laughs> and it just kind of slams home the same message over and over again. But the reason I liked it, I think, so much is because of this actress um, who I think does a great job as the guide. And I always enjoy her work um, – her name is Becky Ann Baker. She's been in a bunch of stuff. Uh, I only know that because I looked it up on the internet, so nobody would be impressed. Uh, the only, the other thing I really like is uh, at a certain point, at the beginning of the journey, I think uh, the guide brings her into basically a waiting room that has uh, three older people in it. Uh, and I love these people. Uh, one of them is uh, the actress who plays George Costanza's mother in Seinfeld. Um, and these are, they're just kind of grumpy people. They're not even grumpy. They're just... They make Janeway grumpy because they're kind of waiting and just they want to chat and they're sociable. Um, one of them is grumpy. Uh, and she is like, I don't have time to talk to you people. <laughs> Another one of the older people is a guy named Parley Bear, who, and I, one of my other sort of classic avocations is I love old time radio. And Parley uh-huh. Bear is an actor whose career goes back as far as old time radio and who often played somebody who was either very dumb or very grumpy. He was. <laughs> Uh, Chester in the radio version of Gunsmoke and his voice is sort of unmistakable and has every bit of the sort of he sounds just like he did in 1950s radio and I love him (laughs) it's great (laughs) and they I love every scene that these three were in with Janeway because and I think that what I like so I like fish out of water stuff right in Star Trek that's kind of the bread and butter of a lot of Star Trek episodes and one of my favorite characters in Star Trek are the fish out of water ones right so Spock and Data uh, Reginald Barkley is one of my favorite TNG uh, (laughs) characters and I can hardly think of anyone who is more fish out of water than Reg Barkley. Um, and so Janeway, who is certainly not someone who is ever uh, kind of uncertain of themselves 
or kind of adrift. Like she always has a plan. She always looks for science and uh, she is in command. That's why she's a captain, right? That's, I think, one of the key components of being a captain. Uh, and in this this situation she finds herself in, she needs to save Kess, but these people are not helping her. <laughs> And her normal methods are not working. Uh, and so seeing her interact with, at least in the first time she goes into the waiting room uh, with them was a lot of fun. Because um, she's just like, uh, I'm just, have you tried this door? <laughs> yeah, the conclusion she jumps to is that they've been sitting there for years because they're really old. And she comes in and she sees them as like, wait, wait, you're waiting to do the spiritual journey as well. And you're really old. I haven't got time for this. And I think she jumps to that conclusion they don't they neither correct her nor confirm what she says so Janeway I mean a lot of it is about Janeway making assumptions in real time about what's going on that turn out to be uh, not right and easy to make fun of because she's using this crazy thing called you know logic and science but Mm -hmm. she's not she's not actually she's not asking them any questions she's not trying to learn anything from them other than does this door work? Can I get through this door? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right, because she thinks she's set this up in her mind that it's a series of tests. Right. And so she thinks this waiting room is not a waiting room. It is a test. So I need to figure out why these people are here. Uh, and I can't ask them. But she them. does such a bad job of it. Like, she doesn't ask them. She doesn't try to make friends with one of them and say to the woman, hey, so... I this is what I'm trying to do. Can you have any uh, insight for me as to how I might do it, or how's your nope. spiritual journey going? No, and she says, uh, "I saw the other monks who I assume have taken this journey, and they're not old. So clearly, this is some kind of <laughs> test." And uh, right. and and one of the the uh, monks says, "Oh, you're smart," uh, and that kind of uh, he doesn't confirm or deny what her theory, and she is. I mean, she's smart, so she's like, "Oh, that must." He's stating a fact, and she thinks he's confirming what she said. Right. Right. Uh, so it's 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 fun. And then she comes back into this waiting room uh, later, and uh, it is another delightful scene uh, where they basically are like, "Listen, we keep telling you, none of this has any meaning. <laughs> you are wasting your time." Uh, and she says, "Oh, you are the spirits," and they say, "That would make it easy, wouldn't it?" <laughs> And they also, so they don't, they neither confirm nor deny that they're the spirits, um, but they do basically tell her what to do. And I just, I just enjoyed them all. They, it is clear to me they were having fun as these characters, uh, and I liked Jane Way's interactions with them. So that was, I think, my high point, two high points of this episode was that guide and the interactions with Jane Way and the guide, which is good because it's the bulk of the episode, uh, and then her interacting with these three older monks in that waiting room. Yeah, and I think it makes it less necessary for them to get very specific about some sort of spiritual practice or set of beliefs. Because if you if you think about it, there's not really any of that. You, you know that they're religious, that they have a set of spiritual beliefs, and they have monks, and they have rituals, and all this stuff. But it doesn't matter, nor do you know anything about what they are. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't have those strong characters for her to sort of go against... You might have to actually talk about spiritual things that might get people riled up or that might distract from the episode. Frankly, it's not even just about getting people riled up about, oh, it's similar to such and such a faith practice, but more that you would get people distracted by that instead of the essential conflict is between Janeway's sort of sense of every problem has a solution. The solution Mm -hmm. is based in science. If I know enough science, I can get out of this. And these people who 
could really care less. <laughs> They're like, you already know what to do. I don't know what the problem is. You're just right. wasting time. We're just letting you do what you want to do. But right. uh, And at no point have we told you to do any of this. <laughs> <laughs> but you keep doing it. <laughs> Uh, which is very frustrating for Captain Janeway because she's like, just tell me what I need to do <laughs> or let me scan. Like they won't let her scan. Yeah, so they're, they she's very right. <laughs> like, no, you can't scan. Sorry. Uh, and it, it, the, the conclusion of the episode is that the, the old monks tell her, listen, just take Kess back into the, the place and uh, she'll be fine. And uh, Janeway's like, but I haven't. She hasn't certainly done the ritual, and I'm not sure if I've done the ritual. So uh, will we survive if we do that? Uh, and this is, you know, the big moment of revelation uh, is what one of the old monks says to her. If you think you have completed the ritual, you have. But you must believe that you have. <laughs> and Janeway uh, seems a bit flummoxed by this. But she's like, okay, I will do what I have to do uh, to save Kess. And so she... She, you know, be, uh, they beam down Kess with Chakotay and uh, Neelix, and Neelix is like, I'm not so sure about this. Uh, but Janeway's like, I'm going to do it. And, uh, you know, spoiler alert, Kess does not die in this episode. Uh, so <laughs> Kess is resurrected. Uh, actually, she wasn't dead, right? So she's cured of her, her problem. Janeway is not knocked into a coma, and then everyone beams up and leaves the planet, uh, where promptly the doctor is like, oh, Chakotay was down there. He he uh, scanned the archway with his tricorder, and here's the scientific explanation. Uh, and this, I thought, was well done, this scene, because the doctor is uh, spewing a bunch of, you know, patented Star Trek technobabble, uh, and then they kind of uh, mute his track and just kind of focus on Janeway, who is looking less and less interested and kind of thinking about, you know, was does this science matter was it just kind of did the spirits do this um and then the episode ends like they don't tell us like there's no i think this is more effective at least for me uh you let me know what you think shelly of uh, there's no like scene where janeway is with chakotay and she says oh gee i guess maybe it really was the spirits and science can't answer everything uh they just kind of show us that with janeway's face which is sort of what a TOS was definitely what a TOS episode would have done. Like mm -hmm. Captain Kirk would go, "Yeah, I think now I understand." <laughs> but yeah, it's just I think I think that part is really well handled, and you don't know because you're looking at her, you can tell that she's reflective and she's thinking about it, mm -hmm. but you don't know to what extent. Like if you talk to her a week from now, what her attitude would be, whether she would be like, "Well, that was interesting," and I'm not sure why what happened happened, or whether she would be, "Well, all that teching the tech that the doctor did—that's probably what it was." That was it. But you know that she's they've gotten through to her in the sense that they got her to reflect on it, but only after it was over. It was probably almost impossible to expect Janeway during the time, even when she was about to carry Kess through that thing, for Janeway to go, well, I guess, I guess I'm going to have to believe. Because the truth was, like, Kess was, and they say this to her, you know, Kess is either dead already because the cures that the doctor has been plying her with do not work, or she, she's, she's, she's dead, Right. She's going to die. The risk was to Janeway. Mm -hmm. Janeway has to have enough faith that this solution that they've suggested to her is effective, that she will go through it and risk her own life. Because Kess's life is kind of, and she may not be thinking of it this way, but as a person watching a television set, I can go, well, you know, it's it's Janeway's life that it's really at stake, not Kess's, because Kess's is pretty much over according to the science. So Janeway gets to save them both. 
Yes. But they don't really, they don't stress Janeway's risk, really. Janeway's just, Chakotay says, look, I could relieve you of command. Basically, I want you to prove to me or, or give, convince me that you're not nuts, that you're not, that you're not crazy. <laughs> and the guide even says, can he do that? And she goes, <laughs> yeah, kind of. But then he's like, oh, all right, go ahead. <laughs> You've convinced me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> By doing nothing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I do like the fact that at, at one point the old one of the old monks says, uh, uh, kind of putting a, a, a pin on this the central tenet uh, or issue of the episode. Uh, Even when your science fails right before your eyes, you still believe in it. Talk about uh, unconditional faith. Uh, and I thought, well, there you go. That's the the I think that's the the key moment for Janeway as well, where she's like, well, okay, maybe maybe these people have something. Um, but I just thought it was a really, really good line. Um, but that's the whole episode. So what did you, what did you think of this episode? I've al- I already have espoused my uh, enjoyment of this episode. So I, I will uh, turn it over to you, your thoughts. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it a lot. And I, as I say, my, there's, there's, it's a funny, I mean, when you're watching something and you allow some logical thing to trip you up, it, like I watched this episode twice. The first time I watched it, I couldn't get beyond the fact that I thought it was weird that Janeway was the person who did this. I was like, mm-hmm. this, this should be Neelix's job, or he should have made a stronger protest to do it. And so I was sort of messed up for watching the rest of the episode because I thought, that's dumb. And then I watched the episode <laughs> the second time, knowing how it comes out. I'm like, okay, it's a Janeway episode. It's absolutely interesting that she is having this uh, conflict between spirituality and, and science, however she ends up coming out of it. So I enjoyed watching it, especially, like I say, the second time, once I sort of got over. And that that happens to me when I watch something where, for whatever reason, it's not that the episode was done badly. It's just I've allowed a stumbling block to get in my way. And mm-hmm. that, especially with science fiction or fantasy or something like that, that's easy for it to happen because it's all about unreality. It's all It's not like grounded in, you know, talk about respect for science or whatever, but it's, it's, it's all grounded. You, you have to go with them. You have to allow the storytellers to take you some places. And sometimes a storyteller tries to take you a place and you're just like, I'm not going. And that's kind <laughs> that's of the true. way I felt at the beginning of the episode. And I was just like, it's dumb. Why is Janeway doing this? But it helps that it was well acted and well paced, uh, you know, and I thought, and this was, uh, uh, what's his name? Tom Paris, his first director, directorial effort in Star Trek, I think. I think that's right. And he did a good job. Pretty good. Yeah. And I, I the, the 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 line that you pointed out, where uh, at the end, where the monks were talking about uh, unconditional faith in science, mm-hmm. I think that was an interesting uh, sort of turnabout on, well, uh, people who have faith in science and people who are sort of progressive in their beliefs about you know not whether it's prime directive or just not interference with other cultures, basically it was sort of turning that screw a little bit and saying you're not as tolerant as you say you are mm-hmm. if you're not allowing people with religious faith the same level of respect that you would somebody who's totally based in science. So I thought that was a nice touch. Yes, and that is a theme that a lot of modern Star Trek uh, explores because, you know, the the Starfleet and the Federation are uh, uh, painted as this very tolerant organization, but there are these, you know, the differing societies uh, that aren't as welcome as it might uh, at first blush seem. So there's a, there's a rich vein of storytelling there, which yes. does anger some Star Trek fans because, you know, that's not what Gene Roddenberry would do or whatever, but... Um, <laughs> 
be that as it may. Uh, I like this episode. Hooray, we both liked it. That's Yay. good. Uh, I do agree with you, though, that it does logically make more sense that this is a, should be a Neelix episode. But I am so grateful that it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I can go with you on that. Yes. <laughs> there is a scene where Le- Neel- Neelix says, I wish I could be doing more. And I thought, no, I wish you should do a little less, Neelix. Just, just stay there. <laughs> well, my reaction was, well, then why aren't you, pal? Why aren't you? <laughs> you could be doing more, Neelix. Right. Uh, but he, uh, he does find that, that fable. So good job <laughs> on that, Neelix. Uh, and good job to you, Shelley. Thank you for joining me. And this was a very good conversation. Uh, I'm not grading you. I don't know. All of a sudden, I just, <laughs> it sounded like I was evaluating you as a guest of Red Trek. I was not. Uh, I met expectations. <laughs> I should have. What I meant to say was I enjoyed talking to you and having this great conversation. So thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, Scott. I enjoyed having this conversation with you as well and talking about Star Trek. 